This is the Smoke Detector Show on Smoke Radio. Welcome back to the Smoke Detector. In our second episode, we will be taking a deep dive into the recent US presidential election. We'll cover young Americans' reactions and what it's like to be an electoral judge, as well as what Biden's presidency means for the next four years, specifically with current race relations following Black Lives Matter protests this summer. The 2020 presidential election saw the highest voter turnout since 1900. Around 61% of the population turned out to the polls or mailed in their votes. This election also saw a significant increase in young voters. The Centre for Information and Research in Civic Learning and Engagement, or CIRCLE for short, projected that youth voter turnout may be as high as 56%. This is up from 2016 and 2008, which held the previous record for the young voter turnout. Young voters who turned out for President Trump said the economy was the biggest issue facing the country. This is according to Circle. I spoke to a handful of young Republican voters to get their opinion on the election. I'm Erica and I'm currently in Georgia. I voted for President Trump because he has had great successes in foreign policy. For example, the Middle East Peace Agreement, which is really important to me because I'm Jewish. And also, I believe that Trump is much better president um, for Jewish people than Biden would be. Trump even signed an executive order combating anti-Semitism. And I'm also against socialism and I'm against big government. So uh, Trump just fits my political views a lot better. So I, my name is Ilya. I, am, uh, I live in Florida. The main reason I voted for Trump was I just thought that the, the Democrats had gone way too left. I mean, I think if there was someone more moderate, a lot of more people would be turned on to that candidate. I just think, despite Trump's rhetoric, what he's done have been conservative things. So, you know, despite his kind of claims about Russia and Putin and how he's a nice guy, he was very hard on Russia in Syria and uh, um, Ukraine, which I'm from Ukraine. I was born there. And then I think the final thing, he was just, he was very mistreated by the media. And even though I didn't agree with everything he did, and he did say a lot of stupid things, and his rhetoric was pretty dumb, and, you know, he was not the smartest guy to put out in a press conference, I think it's just kind of atrocious the way they treated him. Hunter, and I'm in Atlanta. Um, so I voted for a person named Barbara Beller. Um, not really someone I knew too well into it. She was definitely not in like the public eye or anything like that, but she was like an independent running who had like Republican and conservative views. I just kind of felt like Donald Trump was a little bit too bashful um, for the Republican Party moving forward. Um, I generally lean more conservative, so the ideas of the Republican Party are going to be a little bit more important. So it's going to be hard to vote for a Democrat and someone that just like goes against like, you know, your philosophical beliefs. So um, I just felt like that was probably like the best move going forward. I didn't want to have to be like responsible for either candidate getting chosen. In 2016, I voted for Donald Trump, but I felt like a lot of the court seats were like up for grabs. So I felt like it was kind of too important to like sit out. Um, but this time I decided since I didn't think there was as much on the line, that it'd be best for maybe Republicans to kind of move away from like the Donald Trump brand. Um, so. Circle also found that President-elect Biden won the overall young vote by a 25 point margin. Those who voted for President Biden were most likely to say the coronavirus pandemic was the big issue. 
Let's hear from the young people who voted for Biden. My name is Heather and I'm in um, a suburb north of Atlanta, Georgia. I voted for Joe Biden. Some of the things that are most important to me as far as issues go are the environment. That's probably my biggest one. I also care a lot about immigration and I would like to see our country be more welcoming towards immigrants. I also really care a lot about gun control. I'm disappointed that in response to shootings, nothing seems to really be changing. Uh, my name is Cameron. Uh, I'm from the Orlando area, uh, Central Florida. I voted for Joe Biden. Most supporters of Joe Biden and his voters will tell you, uh, I think they're just tired of the president, uh, the current President Trump's uh, rhetoric, his personality. Uh, you know, for me, I'm tired of waking up in the morning and just seeing something else that he's tweeted. You know, it's the constant having to wake up and see who he's angry at, who he's always, you know, calling out people who've criticized him and, uh, you know, and just his whole entire, his personality, the way he's handled himself is just, it's exhausting. Um, and then my two others are more like policy issues. Um, I think for the first one for me is the, uh, his, his foreign policy it's been so ecliptic and so random. It doesn't make any sense. Um, you know, he's, he's alienated our allies, closest allies. Uh, it, it felt like we kind of put Germany, the UK, um, NATO allies out on an island um, against the, the, the threats. That was not cool with me at all. Um, it was something that really got me. And number, number three, my last big one is the, his environmental policies, not just climate change, but his whole loosening restrictions on hunting uh, game in, in wildlife reserves. I am Sarab and I am in Brevard, North Carolina. I voted for Biden and Harris and I did that because I felt our country needed a new face to present who we are as a nation and who we had before. It was like, you know, you see people at rock bottom and who they present themselves as and I feel like that was our rock bottom. <laughs> Also, like I, for the election, you really have to focus on what is important to you. And so for me, I had to focus on one, and that was education. And after reading Harris, her stances on education, that really solidified it for me, um, that this is who I want to vote for. I want to vote for this vice president because of how she views teachers and our place my name is Lily, and I'm in rural New Hampshire right now in New England in the United States. So I voted for Biden and Harris, and I did that for a lot of reasons. I didn't think that America, Americans, and American democracy could survive another four years of Trump. We are facing a lot of public health crises right now as a nation. I mean, we have racism, we have COVID, we have literal concentration camps uninsured Americans, police brutality, a woman's right to choose. There's just so much on the line. And it's not that it's all started in the last four years, but a lot of things have gotten to a breaking point and are getting worse. Back to Circle then. It found that young voters were most likely to believe that racism was a serious issue in America, as we heard from some of the interviews. It's no wonder when 27% of young people attended Black Lives Matter protests this summer. I'll come back to BLM in a second, but first, a demographic that has come into the news more recently is the Latino community. Trump gained Latino votes in 2020, up from his 2016 election. 
Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez slammed the Democrats for not putting in enough effort with Latino voters. The Trump campaign was able to exploit this gap by equating Biden with socialism. This did not sit well with voters, particularly from Cuba and Venezuela. Overall, Biden still did hold a majority of the Latino vote, but it's clear the future relationship between this demographic and Democrats is looking foggy. I spoke to Juan, who is a Mexican-American, about what a Biden presidency would mean to him. I think, first of all, I think what Biden needs to address, it is the relationship relationship between Mexico and USA and try to stop the border, which doesn't make sense, which President Trump uh, spent millions and trillions of dollars trying to build it, which it is not finalized and he only built about 500 miles of the US border. I think that money could have gone uh, somewhere else. Biden is trying to implement a lot of uh, immigration policies, and I think his purity it is not separating families. I think uh, his purity will be keeping families together and not reporting uh, any more uh, parents or uh, children. Hispanic voters may have been difficult for Biden, but the African-American community were not. There is a strong case to be made that African-Americans won Biden his presidency particularly young black voters who overwhelmingly saw police violence as a single determining factor of their vote. But President-elect Biden has a complicated history with law and order. In 1994, Biden supported Clinton's controversial crime bill. This law saw 100,000 new police officers on the street and an expansion of offences eligible for the death penalty. Biden has since stated his mistake to back the bill. Kyle is a chef from North Carolina, and I spoke to him about Biden's election. There has been very little, especially during this presidential run, very little repentance or even admittance on his end towards what he did um, during that period of time. And I don't like the fact that, like, you know, he kind of, like, searched out the vote from the Black community, kind of based alone on his relationship with Barack Obama. And that's kind of, like, all that he really used in terms of, like, you know, trying to get the black voters. Like, you know, I used to, you know, I work with Barack Obama and, you know, I like black people and blah, blah, blah. But it's like, yeah, you didn't really like give us any particular reason to vote for you outside the fact that you might be a better human being than Donald Trump. I don't know how much of a part he's going to play in, you know, indicting these police officers who are wrongfully killing young black men, women, and children in the streets, or, you know, these police chiefs and departments that are, systemically like hunting and persecuting black men, women, and children. I don't expect significant kickback from him towards those areas and people and police forces and such, but I don't think he's going to be as adamantly against these um, protester groups as Trump would have been, which I guess is a positive, but you know, my outlook on it is, you know, better from awful is still bad. I'm not claiming Biden as, you know, this like alt-right racist or anything like that. But Biden is a rich white man in power in the United States. So like, I'm sorry if I don't like have full trust or belief in him um, and where he's come up, especially since he's done it off the backs of black people and there's still no talk of reparations of any kind. While Kyle saw the situation unfolding in states, Deontay was here in Westminster. I think the black community knows better now and they're gonna hold him accountable and they're going to hold the Democrats accountable. So I think they're expecting a lot of policies that are going to be tailored not just to the Black community, but 
they're going to be listening to Black Lives Matter. Now, Black Lives Matter does have a mission, and it's to combat police brutality and hold police officers accountable. But when you go to Black Lives Matter protest, you're always hearing a lot of the Black issues outside of police brutality that plague the community. And so I believe that a Biden-Harris administration is actually going to listen to those qualms that this community has. My issue, as far as Biden goes, is that he won't go far enough. But progress is progress. So do I think change is going to happen under Biden? Yes. Do I think it's going to be the change that I want? No. For example, I'm an avid believer that we probably should abolish the police, not get rid of a police-like entity, but literally create another organization that is more well-trained, more educated, more able to be a part of the community. Because right now, the tensions between the two is toxic on both sides. But when it comes to Harris herself, I actually believe a lot of the concerns about what she's done in the past, as far as her being the prosecutor of California, has been misconstrued. I know that they say that she arrested a lot of Black people and put them in jail. But when you look at her actual department policies, you'll start to find out that her department actually refused to put in jail people in general who were one-time offenses that were misdemeanors, such as marijuana possessions. Now, I think people confuse the amount of indictments that she's had versus the amount of people that she's actually gone in jail. So you are guilty, you get indicted, then they decide what your sentence is going to be. And if they don't send you to jail, you're free to go, but you're still indicted, you still pled guilty. So then you have that record. And so I think a lot of it's been misconstrued and people don't understand that she actually created programs for those people who got out of prison so that they would actually go and find employment, get jobs, so they don't end up in that cycle to where they're discriminated against because they have felonies or this, that, and the other. And so they end up going back to what they know and how to raise money. So do you think she has things in her past that she can be critiqued for? Yes, specifically not prosecuting some police officers that should have been prosecuted. But do I think she's as bad as the narrative has been about her? No. And what about African-American women? Kamala Harris has made history by being the first African-American and Indian woman to hold the position of vice president. If African-American men turned out for Biden, then African-American women turned out and turned up. 90% of black women voted for him and many were active on the front lines of this election. I spoke to Karis about the significance of a Biden-Harris White House. I think in a whole, we give so much power to the idea of what the president represents in America. But if you really think about it, who the president is doesn't really affect day-to-day relations in the sense of like racially between people. I'm not saying there's no importance there, but I'm just saying like the same people that were around while Trump was in presidency don't just disappear because now Biden's the president. And they also don't just change their mind because Biden's the president. They might change the way they enact racism, maybe, or maybe they're not so overt about it, but it's still there. Like, that didn't change the way they are. And I understood when people were celebrating when Biden won, but they were, it was almost like they act like, oh, we've defeated this big thing in America. And it was like, nah, like, it's still around. Like, like it's more so on a personal level in, in your circles and in your relationships like the people you know in your neighborhoods to like get rid of that because like 
in my neighborhood back in Louisiana, like it's predominantly white and we've had a lot of issues with them. Like, and it's not always like over Like I'm not afraid to be in my neighborhood or something like that, but just like their biases of clearly they don't like certain people and they uphold certain ideas um, in the way they view people of color and but specifically black people. And it's like, Trump, Biden, whoever's in the presidency doesn't change their way of viewing life. And that's more so where we get the issues. Like, how is Biden being president going to stop that white lady from calling the cops because she saw two random black people in the neighborhood? Like, you know, that's not going to stop. So we've heard from the young voters. But what about those on the other side of the polling station? An election doesn't happen without election officials. These roles are often voluntary positions filled by the local community. Officials do a range of jobs from helping voters cast their ballot to monitoring the conduct of the election. I caught up with Christina, who was an electoral judge in Minnesota. So uh, what it means when you're an election judge is that you are, well, you're one of those boring old people. Who rightly signs in voters and uh, gives people their ballots and gets their votes through the machines. But I also came to learn it's not boring at all. I mean, it is boring just because you're there all day. It's like a 16-hour day. But it was so eye-opening to be part of the democratic process. And to see it work firsthand was very inspiring. And um, so anyway, there's an, uh, so you sign up. And there's some kind of a process I'm sure they do behind the scenes that says like, you know, basically like you're an upstanding, I don't know what, I don't know what criteria they use to say you now can be an election judge. Um, And then there's a two hour training that in the past has been done in person, but was done online, a series of videos that teach you like how different things work. Um, There was a subsequent video between the primary and the, the general election where um, it was also like how to treat people respectfully. And so if you have somebody who comes in who has a disability or who's gender non-binary and you can't tell, like how do you make sure that every single person who comes into the polling place feels respected and empowered because those slight things that you say or do can make a difference in somebody feeling empowered to vote or to feel like they matter. And so anyway, the training I thought was excellent. And then of course there are people at every polling place who have a tremendous amount of experience experience. And so you get a lot of training uh, when you arrive at 5.30 in the morning. President Trump has repeatedly claimed voter fraud in the 2020 elections. He and his team have launched legal action in five states, three of which had been rejected at the time of recording. But there is still a mass of followers believing this to be true. I asked Christina what she thought about these claims. I'm certainly not an expert on all of the stuff that goes on behind the scenes, but you know, you have to be a registered voter, right? And to register, you have to have something that shows both like a picture ID that shows that you are who you say you are. And then you also have to have proof that you're a resident of the state you're voting in. And this is why people had to leave and go get like, you know, if they didn't have a driver's license, they needed somebody to vouch for them. I don't even know how you do it. There's no way you could be like, I'm going to register my cat and then my cat is going to vote. Like it just, there isn't any way that it can do it. It's tied to your social security number, right? 
it's possible maybe that there's one person somewhere who's super clever and can like hack into some system and create something for their cat. But we're talking like one person. It's not possible at scale. I mean, I asked, so Jeff, the head of our, our you know, he's been doing elections for 20 some years. He's been the head of this precinct for many, many you know, for tw oh, I think all 20 of those years. He also counts votes. He's also one of the people behind the scenes who's counting early. And in Minnesota, we were allowed to count early votes prior to election day. And, um, you know, I asked him all kinds of questions about it. And he like he he's just like the systems are set up so that it is not, you know, there's so many checks and balances on the system and so many eyes and people of both parties that are doing this process like it's tight and the precinct that I work in um, is very diverse like we had we have everything from people who live in an area of St. Paul where there's big rich you know houses people who live in apartment complexes there were people you know um, Muslims you know in full veils right from East Africa you had um, you know African Americans you had Asian people right there were there's even one of our local uh, county prosecutors who's an elected official who votes in this precinct, right? So like what I, I was texting my brother and I was just saying like, it's just such a beautiful representation of America right here, right? And at the end of the day, they have a, so you have this tape. So the machine that collects the votes, we all sign that we saw the tape at the beginning and it showed the tally as zero on everything. Everything has to match up, right? The reg the voter registration or the voter um, check-ins matches up with the number of ballots that they're counting that went out matches with the number of ballots that are in the box that are matches with the tape, right? It's all it's all um, reconciled, and you know, in our precinct, we had 154 people who voted live on election day, voted for Donald Trump, 310 voted for Joe Biden, and six voted for Kanye West, and something like 16 voted for a libertarian candidate, and there might have been one or two for the cannabis free marijuana party, right? And like, that's awesome. And you don't know throughout the day who voted for whom. And we were all there to protect every single one of those people's right to have their vote cast and their voice heard. And now it's time to talk to Olivia, who's done some research about what the next four years could look like. Hi, I'm Olivia, a second year student here at Westminster, and I also happen to be an American. In this segment, I'm gonna be discussing the impact of the Biden-Harris election on both the US and the UK. This new presidency will bring about sharp changes from the previous administration that affect everything from green energy to criminal justice reform to the situation at the Irish border and even the legality of chlorinated chicken here in the UK. These impacts are widespread and being aware of them helps us prepare for what's ahead. So, relations between the US and the UK over the past few years haven't been too rosy. A survey done this past September by the Pew Research Center showed that only 19% of Britons polled have confidence in Trump to do the right thing. Trump also semi-recently tweeted an accusation that British intelligence were spying on him. So yeah, there's that. Now that Biden is the president-elect, there's a lot of new info to support a hope that transatlantic relations will improve, or at least become less unpredictable. According to the BBC, some of Biden's priorities on international policy include restoring America's reputation to the rest of the world and negotiating a new trade deal with the UK, 
which will hopefully make it cheaper and easier to do business across the Atlantic, which could keep prices down on goods sold here and there. In terms of climate change, Biden supports rejoining the Paris Climate Accord that Trump withdrew from. It aims to reduce the world's greenhouse gas emissions and comes with certain goals for the future, like cutting U.S. emissions by 28% by 2025. Biden wants to invest $2 trillion in green energy, which, besides being helpful to the environment, also helps working-class people who perform most energy-related manufacturing jobs. The UK is holding a big climate change summit in 2021 called COP26, catchy, I know, where the goal is to set new goals for reducing climate emissions. The left wing of the Democratic Party in the US put forward a Green New Deal with radical changes, but Biden's approach is more fiscally conservative, which has drawn criticism from people further on the left. He is still, however, committing trillions to researching green energy, which is a major departure from our current situation. Now, in relation to the coronavirus epidemic, Biden intends to develop a national test and trace program similar to what we have here, according to the BBC. This program would provide free testing and would hire many thousands of people to become contact tracers. He's also created a COVID task force to implement these policies from day one. He's also said he wants to mandate mask wearing across all states. In my home state, for example, mask wearing is not required, and a shocking number of people are still living and working without them. If COVID levels in the U.S. are contained, this will also make it easier to travel between the two countries in the future. Interestingly enough, the election of Biden as president will likely also have an influence on the situation of the Irish border. As a man with Irish ancestry himself, Biden doesn't approve of, quote, a return to a hard border with Ireland. And he's also stated that he wouldn't allow peace in Northern Ireland to become a, quote, casualty of Brexit. Since the Irish are quite powerful in U.S. politics, it's likely that the current administration would not approve of changes to the strictness of the current border. There are some ways that U.S. and U.K. relations could be harmed by the Biden presidency, namely because Biden's not the biggest fan of Boris, having called him, quote, a physical and emotional clone of President Trump. If these two have trouble getting along, transnational negotiations could remain a bit bumpy. As well, currently, food imported from the US to the UK has to meet EU standards. But after Brexit, this won't be the case. Some people now worry that imported food will be of a lower standard, as the US is more lax on some farming practices. This could mean the possibility that chicken washed in chlorine will be legal in a chip shop near you. Gotta love that. Now, besides international relations and policy, there are other changes that will impact the culture of America itself, namely on the lines of race, immigration, and healthcare. Biden stated he believes racism must be addressed through programs that support minority groups and communities on social and financial levels. For example, creating investment funds to support minority-run businesses. With Kamala Harris as the U.S.'s first female, first African-American, and first South Asian vice president, there's reason to believe the administration will continue progressive policies on race. Biden's attracted criticism because he doesn't support defunding the police, a position made more noted by this past summer's protests, because he thinks that money could be used to increase the quality of the police presence that already exists with more training. He does, however, support redirecting funding to mental health services when that's appropriate. Although this may not be as wide-reaching as some had hoped, it's still a step towards an improvement in the current situation. 
In terms of criminal justice, Biden's changed positions pretty drastically from the 90s when he was known to be, quote, tough on crime. He wants to reduce disproportionate minority levels in prison and support rehabilitation for prisoners once they're released. Biden also wants to decriminalize weed and reduce the number of people in prison for minor offenses. On immigration, he wants to reverse Trump's policies of separating parents from their children at the border and also end what many of us refer to as the Muslim travel ban that prevents entry from several predominantly Muslim countries. He's also said he'll protect the Dreamers, who are people who entered the U.S. illegally as children but were allowed to stay afterwards. In terms of health care, Biden also wants to expand the Obamacare public health insurance program, which doesn't quite reach a level of free universal health care like there is here, but does aim to provide everyone more affordable care. And in a country where people Uber instead of taking an ambulance when they're sick, I'd say that's a pretty good improvement. From a student perspective, the Biden-Harris administration will also support the forgiveness of some student loan debt and the expansion of tuition-free colleges. Many students like me who come from the US to the UK to study do so partly because of the massive difference between paying 50,000 a year for four years at a state school or an 11,500 a year for three years at a university across the UK. There's also hope that more affordable education will make social and economic advancement more possible for a larger portion of the population in the US. Now, with all of these changes that come with a Biden-Harris presidency, for an improvement in transatlantic relations between the US and the UK, renewed effort on climate change, a harder stance on criminal justice and immigration reform, as well as more affordable universities and health insurance, there is hope that not just the US, but the world in general can begin to aim in a better direction for the future. Thank you for sticking with me through this analysis, and I hope it's brought up some topics that are relevant and prime for discussion. That's it for this month's Smoke Detector. My thanks to Amy and Olivia for their reporting, as well as all of the interviewees. It is worth saying that all their opinions are their own and do not reflect on Smoke Radio. Credit goes to Patrick Petruchios on YouTube for the music. December's Smoke Detector will be a little different as part of the festive Podmas series, which includes a podcast episode for each of the 12 days of Christmas. Talk to you then. This is the Smoke Detector Show on Smoke Radio. Thank <laughs> you.